I want to take you to the second book of Timothy in your New Testament, chapter 1, verse 9. There's a marvelous verse of Scripture. It'll kind of help me get kicked off here and moving forward with this. I'm going to read to you from the Contemporary English Bible. God is the one who saved us and called us with a holy calling. This wasn't based on what we have done. Let me stop right here and tell you that this is one of the things that separates Christianity from every other religion of the world. I'm talking about every religion. You, you, stu- you go study any religion you want to. Just pick one and start studying, and you're going to discover that all of the religions of the world, with the exception of Christianity, are based upon works. Uh, you do good. It's kind of a, you know, a balancing thing. You do good enough, you get this. You do, you know, if you don't do good enough, you fall short, whatever. It's all about works except Christianity. And Paul clearly says here, it's not about what we have done, but it's based on his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. Here's, here's the difference in Christianity and the world. The world is religions are based on what you do. Christianity is based on what he has already done. Praise God. Anybody glad about that today? Amen. And that's what we celebrated last Sunday, the completion of that work. He died on the cross and then he arose from the dead. And he is today at the right hand of the Father. But two things I want you to notice in this verse of Scripture, the word purpose. God gave us, it's all about his purpose. That's, that's why he created us, why he gave us Jesus. And then notice the last little line of that verse says, before time began. Did you know? Now, let me, let me say this about time. Time is only relevant in this sphere that we live in now. God is outside of time because God is eternal. God has always been what he is today, what he always will be tomorrow. He is ceaseless, endless, and changeless. He's God. You understand that? And so time only relates to where we are in this little sphere of our life here on this earth. God is outside of time. But before God even created this earth and this sphere in which we have time, God already had you on his mind. You were part of his purpose. In fact, let me go further than that and say that the reason we have planet earth and the, the, the whole atmosphere and the stars and the sky and the, and the galaxies and all of the things that we have, the reason God made all of these things is for you and me to enjoy. We were on his mind before these other things. He created them for us in him to enjoy. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited about my heavenly father to think he's made all this stuff for me to enjoy. Amen. Somebody ought to give him praise right here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, a careful study of the word purpose, both in the Hebrew rendition of the Old Testament and the Greek rendition of the New Testament, seems to lock in on that English definition for the word purpose of intent, intent. In other words, God was very intentional in everything that he did, and he is, continues to be, and always will be. The intent that God had for us. Uh, The word makes it clear 
that this world and, and its inhabitants did not just suddenly come about out of some kind of a cosmic accident or explosion or, or whatever else. So, somebody said that the Big Bang Theory makes about as much sense as an explosion in a print shop. And when all of the particles come falling down, it falls down into the perfect dictionary from A to Z uh, and cover to cover. That's about as much chance as that would have. No, no, no. God created. In fact, the Bible starts off with these words in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it even gets more forceful when he starts talking about man. When you drop down to verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1, you find these words. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. So there was intent that God had when he made us. He made us in his likeness and in his image for a purpose. And I want you to see that purpose today. Perhaps it will help you if we go to the book of Ephesians and show you how Paul starts off Ephesians. I like the way the Message Bible reads this. Here's what Paul's saying. I got this inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors stood, understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's Spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I'm calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is acceptable and welcome um, um, to, to everyone across the board. Drop down to verse 12. All this is proceeding along the lines planned all along by God and then executed by Christ Jesus. Now, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that it doesn't matter what your background. You may be third, fourth generation Christian. You may have been raised in church all your life. Maybe you never missed a Sunday since you came into this world. Or maybe you just heard of God or uh, the work of Jesus Christ last week at an Easter service. Paul said, doesn't matter. The ground is level at the cross. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter how religious you are or how religious you aren't. Because religion is not what's going to get you there anyway. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your educational status. Doesn't matter your race or your ethnicity. Doesn't matter where you came from, what your background. Doesn't matter uh, what your financial status is in the world. Doesn't matter your education. None of this stuff matters. We all have the same opportunity in the family of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all of this was a plan of God before the world even began. Be sure your neighbor gets this. Tell your neighbor, God's been thinking about you a long time. He really has. He was thinking about you before he even created this world. Now, that's the purpose of God. It, you, you are part of his purpose. You're part of his plan. Now, I know that's been questioned and is questioned by a lot of people. Might surprise you, but even Christian people sometimes question purpose. 
Uh, even in the Bible, great men like the psalmist even question purpose. Look what he said in Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist said, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? The, the psalmist was actually stumped on this. He said, Lord, I see all of the glory of your creation. I, I, I look out on a starry night and I see the, the Milky Way and I see the galaxies and I see the stars as far as I can see it beyond my ability to number them and count them. And I see the beauties of the earth that you're created. And, 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 and it makes me feel like I'm about this tall. And I wonder, what is why, why is it that you're so concerned about us anyway? What what is it that, that, that I, I just don't fully understand? There was a question about the purpose of man. God answers it in his word, and we're going to look at it in just a little bit. But you know, we've come to a time culturally, especially in our nation, but it, it's affecting the whole world. When generations are beginning to wander aimlessly in life, struggling with their own identity, because they don't understand their purpose. Public education has taught our children that you're just an accidental result of a union between two adult people. Um, they further tell them that, that, uh, that, that we live in a world that's just a result of, of uh, something floating in space and there was a cataclysmic explosion or something and out of it, all of this stuff came into being many eons ago. And, and, they, and they tell them that you're, they're just an evolutional process or a product of an evolutionary process that is going who knows where. We don't have any idea where it's going to end up. And, and then they say, they, they tell our kids, um, if, if we would just try to protect our environment and, and, and maybe we can make this tired old earth that we're living on last a little bit longer and we can continue our journey a little bit further before it finally wears down and tires out and gives up and collapses and that's the end. Wow. Ooh, good night. If I had to accept that as my belief, I'd have a hard time living too. I'd be looking for something to take my mind off of it. And, and, and so now we've got the environmental freaks and the animal rights people and then all kind of different things that, that focus on everything except the, the mankind himself. And, 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 and the further we move away from moral absolutes and, and the more we forsake the faith of our fathers and, and the more we forbid prayer and Bible from our schools as part of our educational system and the more we espouse the idea that man is just answerable to himself and nobody else we're going to continue to lose because we already have, in many cases, our identity. We don't know who we are. We've lost our identity as a nation. We don't know why we're here because we've taken God out of our history books and people don't understand why God gave us this nation and what our purpose for existence is. And and people have lost it. Uh, they, 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 we don't know where we came from. We don't know why we're here. We don't know where we're going. And a sense of futility has, has gripped many hearts and the younger generation, but not just the younger generation. I'm dealing with middle-aged people and older people who claim a 
midlife crisis as a reason to become unfaithful to their marriage vows and unfaithful to their responsibility to their kids and their family and, and as an excuse for uh, living and doing whatever pleases them because they're trying to find themselves. And they excuse plain old sin on the basis of this. And I will admit that in many hearts and many lives, there is an identity crisis. But I've come to tell you this morning that Almighty God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Amen. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. So let's look at that purpose. Anthropologists, you know, they're the guys that dig the earth the most. Yeah. <laughs> they, anthropologists tell us after having studied all civilizations past and present, as far back as they can find any trace of, of mankind and civilization, there's, there's something that is unique and it does not change from the most primitive that they've discovered all the way till today. And that is, and these are not Christian anthropologists. Some of these guys are atheists. But they had to admit and say that there's something we don't understand, but it's unique to all mankind. And that is that man is a worshiper. Man may not even understand what he's worshiping. Man's object of worship may be as simple as a stick or a stone, but man is a worshiper. We, we just are. The anthropologists tell us that it's innate in us. It's, it, we, we can't explain it. We don't understand it. That's them speaking. But it's there, and there's proof that man always worships something or someone. And let me tell you, the reason is that we are created to worship. We just are. Now, maybe it will help you if, if we go back before we were created and look at what God was doing when he began way back in the eons of eternity past to develop what we see now as his creation. And by the way, his creation continues to grow. It's, it's way beyond anything we can understand at this point in our lives. You know, Isaiah said about Jesus, the increase of his kingdom shall never end. Did you know that? Did you know the kingdom of Jesus Christ? And we're going to be a part of that if we're ready to meet him when he comes or calls for us. We're going to be a part of that kingdom ruling and reigning with him. And it's going to continue to expand and to grow 10 billion years from now. God's kingdom will still be increasing, still be increasing, still be increasing. You say, preacher, I can't grasp that because everything I know has an end. <laughs> I used to think that too. And about the time you get to the point where you say that this is as big as this creation is, and man comes up with a Hubble or, or some other, uh, uh, space, uh, some other uh, way of looking further out there, and they discover more. And recently they have discovered more in that big black hole that's out there that they don't understand, they say that there are galaxies out there that are so much bigger than the one that we live in and understand now that, that it boggles the mind. The increase of God's kingdom. So let's go way back. 
way back, because remember, God is beyond time. At some point before God created the heavens, the earth, and created man, God created a whole order of beings before us. We call them angels. I don't know if you believe in angels or not, but they're real. They're created beings that God made them before he made us. Now, there's a lot we don't understand about that whole order of God's creation, but there are some things that we do understand because the Bible makes them clear for us. I, I don't know how many angels God created. They're, they're vast in number, that's for sure. But, but one thing I do know that the angels God divided into sections, at least three. There could be more. But there are at least three that we know about and understand from the Word of God. So let's look at these. The first one I'd like to present to you, and by the way, each of these sections of angels have a lead angel. We refer to them as archangels. They're, they're in charge of that particular segment of angels. The first one I'd like to present to you are the warring angels. They're led by Michael. Michael is the archangel that's over the warring angels. These are angels that are created by God for war. They can handle any conflict that's going to come up. God has created them for that. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited about that. I, I'm glad this morning that my heavenly father has got angels watching over us and angels that can fight for us and that can help us in our battles and our conflicts in life. Anybody glad about that? Yeah, that's exciting, isn't it? Well, let me tell you about Michael and the warring angels. He's identified by name in Daniel, the book of Daniel in your Bible, chapter 10, verse 13, and again in verse 21. He's identified again in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. I'm not going to read these scriptures. You can look those up later. I don't have time to, to do all of that, but I just want to tell you about them. He's the angel that prevailed, those of you that have read the Bible. Do you remember the book of Daniel when Daniel went on a fast that lasted for 21 days? Anybody remember that? He was seeking for revelation and understanding. He'd seen some things in reading some of the other prophets that, that um, really got his attention because he, he sensed that he was living right near a period of history that was about to change. And he wanted to know if he had that right. So he was seeking the Lord. Lord, give me understanding of this. Help me understand. He couldn't get an answer. It felt like the heavens were brassy. So he just kept fasting and praying. He fasted and prayed for 21 days. And then finally something happened. God sent Michael the archangel with warring angels to confront the demonic stronghold that was over Persia. Daniel was living in Persia at that time. And, and there was a demonic force, a demonic stronghold. By the way, just like their angels, they're also demons. They're fallen angels, as we'll see in a few minutes. But they, they, had stronghold, they have strongholds in the earth, different places that they rule over for Satan. And Persia was dominated by a, a, a powerful force of angels. And when God, he didn't send Michael with a message to Daniel. He sent another angel that we'll uh, look at in just a minute. But when that angel got there and tried to get to Daniel, he was confronted 
by this demonic stronghold and this force and was not able to get there. And so he called for help and God sent Michael and his angels to fight that demonic stronghold over Persia and they defeated it and broke open the way so that the messenger could get through to Daniel with the answer to his prayers. And it came on the 21st day of his fast. By the way, um, Michael is mentioned again in the book of Jude, verse 9, as the archangel that fought with Satan over the body of Moses. Remember when Moses went up in the mountain and died? Satan tried to take his body. You may say, well, what did he want with his body? I don't know for sure, but I can speculate that he probably wanted to bring the body of Moses down and get the children of Israel to worship the body of Moses. They were kind of given to, you know, to idolatry. They fought with that over and over and over again, but God said, you're not going to do it. And so he sent Michael, the archangel, and uh, when he confronted Satan, he beat him. Do you like the idea that God's warring angel keeps winning the battle? Amen. I like that. Don't you? Every time he meets Satan, he whips the daylights out of him. In fact, you can go all the way to the end of the Bible. You want to read the rest of the story. You can go to Revelations chapter 12 and you will see Michael confronting Satan and his demonic force. And there's a war that spreads across the heavenlies. And guess who wins? Michael and his angels. If you're serving the Lord this morning, you want to win inside. Why would you want to serve somebody besides the Lord? I want to be on the winning side. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that's Michael and his angels. There was another group of angels. I call them the word-bearing angels. And they're led by an archangel named Gabriel. Gabriel's identified by name in Daniel chapter 8, verse 16. Again, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. He's the messenger that, you remember I told you a while ago, there was a messenger that was trying to get through to Daniel. His name was Gabriel. Gabriel. Remember Gabriel in the Bible? Gabriel. He's the archangel. He's, he's, they're, they're word-bearing angels. They bring the word of the Lord to us. And when he tried to get to Daniel, he was confronted, and that's when God sent Michael, and he whipped him, and, and uh, he won the battle. He's seen again by name and identified in Luke chapter 1 and verse 19 as the archangel who brought word to Zechariah. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth, they... They were up in years, never had any children, and God sent an angel with a word to him, said to him, and, and, and Zechariah, by the way, was serving in the priest office at that, at that particular time and was, was at that strategic moment where the priest went into the Holy of Holies. That only happened once a year, and it was his turn, and he was in the presence of God, and, and Gabriel showed up, and he said to Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child. When she does, I want you to name him John. And he told him about the ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Marvelous story. Read it in Luke chapter 1. Then if you go all the way down to verse 26 in Luke chapter 1, you discover that Gabriel is the archangel who came to that little olive-complected maiden by the name of Mary and said, Mary, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. The presence of God is going to come so strong upon you, God is going to implant into your womb the very seed of God himself. God's going to become carnate in human flesh, God the Son. And you're going to bear him, give birth to him, 
And when he's born, you call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Gabriel was that angel that came with that message. Then there's a third group of angels. They were headed up by an archangel named Lucifer. They were the worshipers, the worshiping angels. Let me tell you something about God. Way back, it's always been, always will be, God declared, and when God says something, it has to come to pass. God said there will always be worship at the throne of God. Always. That's a decree and a, declare, a declaration of God. He said his name shall never cease to be praised. His name shall endure as long as the sun. All nations shall be blessed by him and all nations shall call him blessed. God has declared that Jesus will be worshiped and praised forever. And it started way back there when God created an order of angels to begin the worship in heaven. They were the worshipers and they were led by Lucifer. He is mentioned in... Um, uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. He's mentioned again in Ezekiel chapter 28. And um, I'm going to read some of Ezekiel 28, kind of a lengthy passage, but I want you to, I'm, I want to key in on this one just a little bit. Here's what the prophet said about Lucifer. He said, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the torque, turquoise, the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. This is Lucifer. Lucifer was the worship leader of heaven. Can you imagine? He was created for that. In fact, God gave to him all of the instruments of orchestration, music. And this particular translation that I read from is a more modern one said they were uh, created for you. If you go back to the original text, it says they were created in you. In other words, Lucifer was the first musical phenomena in all of the creation of God. He had in him all these instruments. Oh my goodness. In other words, when, when Lucifer led the angels, and if they were divided evenly, that means a third of the angels in heaven. When he led a magnificent course, a great choir, when he led the choir, he also provided the music, all of the different kinds of music. Now you say, preacher, boy, you, you, this sounds like, you know, you've gone off watching too much Star Wars or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, a little while ago when we were worshiping, one of our brethren was, was playing that instrument right up there. It's a keyboard. It's an electronic keyboard. Did you know you can go over there to that keyboard and it's got a little setting on it that you can push and you can play those keys and make those same keys that plays piano. You can make those keys play strings and, you, and, it, and it'll sound like a, It'll sound like an orchestra of strings and violins and, 
and, and all of the different stringed instruments. You can push another button up there on that electronic keyboard and you can make it sound like brass. You can hear the trumpets and you can hear the trombones and you can hear the French horns and you can hear all of that. And it's just that one little instrument up there. You can push another button and, and play the percussion and, and you can sit right there on those same keys that play the piano and you, you can hear the drums and all kind of percussion instruments. Yeah, yeah, and you can just keep going. It just does all kind of stuff. Listen, folks, do you think if man is smart enough to make a little keyboard like that that can play all of those different instruments, don't you think God could create in man or for man or however he did it where he could play all of the instruments of the orchestra at one time? I think he can, and I know he did because the Word says so. Amen. So he was the worship leader of heaven. Now, you know what happened. Let, let, let's keep looking in the scripture because Isaiah tells us what happened with this archangel that led perhaps a third of all God's created angels as worshipers in heaven. Chapter 14 of Isaiah, beginning at 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I want you to watch this now. Look, 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 at, look for the word I. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the fairest on the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. I, 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 I. Lucifer got built up with pride. As the worship leader, he, 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 he came to a point one day that he said, why should I offer all this worship to God when I've, <clears throat> I've got the ear of all these angels? Why, why can't they just worship me? And that was his problem, lifted up with pride. Now, we know what happened to him because Isaiah said, I saw him fall. He said, how are you fallen, O Lucifer? Well, let me tell you what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Look what Jesus said. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, let me tell you something. If you think you're going to overthrow God, let me tell you how long it's going to take God to, to take care of that situation. That's it right there. That's it. Lucifer, with a third of the angels... Plotting to overthrow God, Jesus said he fell like lightning. That's pretty fast, isn't it? Light, you, you've seen lightning? That's how fast that joker fell. Now, I know this is carnal and I've repented of it. But I really went through a struggle several years ago when we had a church split. Really went through depression. I, I fought it for, I, I really got I struggled for a little while until one day it dawned on me that God pastored a church and his choir leader backslid and the whole choir pulled out of the church at one time. And God was a perfect pastor. I said, praise God, I don't feel so bad now. I'm certainly not a perfect pastor. <laughs> 
Now, the difference between me and God is I don't like to lose people. And, and uh, <clears throat> I did a lot of praying and fasting and wringing my hands and trying to figure out what to do and looking to God for answers and help and all that kind of stuff. God didn't go through any of that when his choir leader backslid and when his choir deserted and when they were all kicked out of heaven. God didn't wring his hands. God didn't sweat. God didn't say, what am I going to do? Because you see, all God had to do, if he wanted to, he's God. He made that first bunch. All God had to do is just speak the word, and he would have had another. I mean, he could have replaced him. Amen. He could have said, so Lucifer's gone. Where's Steve Kendler? <laughs> he could have taken care of it instantly. But he didn't. This is, this is the amazing thing about it. God didn't. And let me tell you why. Because God had a better idea. Remember this, for the heavens and the earth were even created. This was that first created order way back yonder. God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. Now, you say, well, preacher, what's going on in heaven? Because didn't God declare that they'll always be praised before the throne? Yes, he did. And let me tell you what happened. When the, when the choir left, the warring angels worshiped God. And the word-bearing angels worshiped God. And they're doing that today. And then God began to slowly. Remember, God doesn't have to get in a hurry. Time. <laughs> Time's not a problem with God. If, if, you, if, you get in a wait and wait, if you get in a waiting game with God, you're in trouble. Because God can outweigh all of us. I can promise you that. God didn't get in a hurry. God didn't get frustrated. God didn't get nervous. God didn't get anxious about anything. God just said, let's make man. What I'm going to do this time, I'm going to create a being and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start real small. I'm going to start with one. He made Adam. And then I, he brought him, he created Eve and brought Eve to him and said, now y'all start a family. And they started family. And it started off real slow, you know, Cain, Abel, and Seth. And, and then, then they got, you know, they started reproducing God, you know, just after a while there was Abraham and then there's Isaac and Jacob Jacob kind of helped God along. He had 12. You know, there's some of you helps God more than others. And, uh, but after a while, the whole earth is full of people. And here's the beauty. Now God has a greater, because he gave us the, the ability to procreate, to multiply. Now God has the potential of a greater quantity of worshipers than he had in the beginning. And secondly, and I love this part, God did something else with man that he didn't do with the angels. He gave us the power of choice. Those angels were created to worship, and if they didn't worship, they failed their, their they were commanded to worship. God gave us a choice. The only reason you're here this morning is because you want to be. At least I'm assuming that for most of you. There may be a few of you that didn't want to be here. Your wife drugged you anyway. And maybe some of the younger folks were made to come. I don't know. But, but I dare say there's probably not a, not a person in this building today 
that somebody held a gun at your head and said, you got to go to church this morning. And bless Pat, when you get there, when they stand up and sing, you're going to get up and sing. And when they raise their hands, you're going to raise their, your hands too. No, no, you didn't, you didn't go through that. You, you know what you did this morning? You made a choice. You made a conscious decision to come to New Hope today. And we sure are glad you did. And, and earlier in the service, we were worshiping and praising God. And I looked out here, and you, many of you were raising your hand just worshiping God. You did that because you wanted to. Here's what I believe happens in heaven when we start worshiping God. I believe God turns to the warring angels and he turns to the word-bearing angels and said, y'all can tone it down a little bit. I want, I want to hear what's going on at New Hope this morning. We worship him because we want to, and that's a higher quality of worship. God, didn't, God doesn't require you to. God doesn't make you. God doesn't force you. God doesn't do any of those things. You came in here this morning on your own accord. You came in here on your own free will. You lifted your hands and worshiped God because there was something inside of you that said, I'm thankful to the Lord, and I praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I give him praise today. He's worthy. Hallelujah. <laughs> And that's the highest form of praise there is when you worship him out of your own volition, out of your own choice. And God loves it. 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 Oh, my goodness. If, if you just had any idea how much God loves when you worship him, that is the primary purpose for which you're created. And let me tell you something that you may not know. There is something, let me go back to what the anthropologist says. There is something inside of all of us that can only be fulfilled when we worship God. When we are in communion with our heavenly father, it, it's just, it's the way God made us. It's the way we're created and nothing will satisfy that. And, and people who don't understand that this is their primary purpose, they, they're looking for it. They just don't know where to find it. They, they, they go to ball games and, and, and think that'll satisfy. And then, then they, they have to have a beer because they're not quite satisfied. And then they have to have another one, another one, another one. And, and then after the hoorah's over, there's still an emptiness. Or they, or, or they get drunk over the weekend. And, and then on Monday morning, they got a hangover and they wonder what's wrong. And, 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 and some people shoot it up with dope and other things trying to they're always looking for that something that will fulfill the innermost regions of the heart and the spirit of, of themselves and they, they don't know what it is. May I tell you this morning that when you come into relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and you realize that he's your heavenly father and you begin to allow those praises and that worship to come up from you to him, there's nothing like it in all the world. You'll never find a drug that will bring you the kind of satisfaction that worship in God from your heart will bring. Amen. You'll never go to an event that will be staged in such great quality that it'll bring you the same satisfaction that just worshiping and praising God will bring. Oh, when you experience it, when you experience it to that level of communion with him, you realize that it's the greatest thing in all of the world and you're fulfilling the purpose for which you're created. Do you know everything in God's creation functions better when it fulfills its purpose? 
You walk out of here today and you'll hear the birds singing. And they're singing so majestically and they're so happy flying around in the air. You go to the river, to the lake, or to the ocean in places where you can see the beauty of God's creation in the waters. And you'll see the fish as they swim majestically in their many colored arrays of beauty. And they're happy. But you take the fish out of the water and put him in the air and he's miserable. You take the bird out of the air and put him in the water and he's miserable. He may not be able to explain why, but the reason is because you've taken him out of his purpose. Leave him in his purpose and he's perfectly happy. And I can tell you this morning, if you'll find your primary purpose and learn to worship God, it'll make every area of your life go better. When you're fulfilling your primary purpose, your marriage will be better. Your job will be better. Your family will be better. Everything you do will be better when you fulfill the primary purpose for which God created you. Stand with me, please, this morning. And let's give God one more great big praise. Will you do that? Praise the Lord. 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 Let me end with that verse I began with from 2 Timothy 1.9. God is the one who saved us and called us with his holy calling. This wasn't based on what we've done, but it was based on his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. God had you in mind. And if you want to know what connects you with him like nothing else in this world, it's when you become a worshiper. When you say, God, I recognize who you are, and I worship you from my heart. I want the prayer team to come quickly. We often conclude our Sunday morning services with an altar call. And we do that because it gives you an opportunity to talk with God and allow God to talk with you. And great things happen at this altar. Great things. Great things. Last Sunday morning in the 830 service, a lady who had been a Buddhist from her entire upbringing until recently, something has been stirring in her heart, and she's been searching for the fulfillment of that empty spot. Last Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday, she found it at this altar. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen anybody as overjoyed as that little lady was. She was so, I went back to the room where we were consolidating back to her and, and she just kept, she was so excited. She couldn't stand still. She was laughing. She was crying. She, she was just, she's overjoyed. She said, I, I just, I, I just, I don't know what to do. She even had her picture made with me three or four times. She just kept coming. <laughs> and I said, let's give God all the glory. This, this is from him. Amen. This morning, she's still just bubbling over. She came to me after the first service. She said, I brought you a little gift. And she brought me a little cross that had been taken in Jerusalem. The tree had been cut down in Jerusalem. And this wood came from that little tree, little cross. Said, I just want you to remember, I found, I found, I found the true, I found the true Messiah. I, I, 
I found the one that my heart's been desiring to worship. The true, found the true God. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. There, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing will satisfy your soul, your spirit, like knowing the Lord and worshiping and giving him honor. The altar's open right now. You can come now if you'd like. If you're unsaved, I invite you to come. If you're away from God, come on back home. If you, if you wandered astray or, or if you just want to, if, if you need healing, we believe in God, that God's a healer. We believe you'll, we'll be glad to pray for you and believe God for the healing of your body. If you, if you have a financial need or a family need, whatever it is, just come on. Some of you may just want to come and say, preacher, before I leave the house this morning, we, we've, got a, we've got a few minutes. I'm, I'm finishing a little earlier than I usually do. I, I just want to come spend a couple minutes. And I'd just like to worship the Lord before I go, just right here at the altar. You're welcome to do that. The altar is open. But for the next few minutes, whether you come forward or whether you're there at your seat, could we just spend a few minutes and give worship and honor to God. God bless you as you worship him.